and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Hello everybody and welcome to this, the latest episode of ESSR feature here on the Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet uh, podcast network. Could not get my words out there. Uh, I am Stephen Wilson, mumbling as always for anybody who's listening to this podcast for God knows how long. <laughs> and we are here today to talk about another past pay-per-view. Yes, we've done this in the past. We've enjoyed this report. Let's do it again. Hey, we're going to do so much more of them over the rest of this 2021. But for today, we're talking about a pay-per-view that was, at the time, one of the most anticipated pay-per-views for so many years, probably in history to that particular point. And a one that now, 20 years later, some people look back and go, they could have done so much better. We're going to be talking about Invasion from 2001, when the WCW... Light, it's like diet WCW, and ECW came together to invade the WWF back in July of of 2001. I've got a great panel here with me today to talk about this particular pay per view. Before I introduce them to you this week, uh, please, if you've not subscribed to us already, please hit that subscribe button on whatever podcast platform you're using. If you use two platforms, because I don't know, you really like podcasting and on different uh, platforms at times. Uh, hit the subscribe button on all of them. Uh, we're also on YouTube. We've got loads of content on there. Quiz Showdown, the Book It uh, series, so much there. And also we're on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Suplex Retweet. But that's enough about me gibbering. I've been gibbering for nearly two minutes now. I'll let everybody else gibber for a wee bit there. Uh, we've got the Alliance of Panel here with me today. First, as a person who's described by many his family, myself included, as the million dollar princess of our family, because he's entitled to throw a fit every once in a while, and yes, he will stab you in the back for any given reason. It's Gary Kellen. <laughs> Hi Stephen, uh, looking forward to talking about this, it's really uh, fascinating I think to, to go back in time and almost to check if your me- your mind's playing tricks on you because certainly there's bits of this show that I remember really well there's lots of it that I forgot about but it is I remember being so excited about this and it was the biggest non-Wrestlemania pay-per-view the WWF had done at that point 770,000 buys I mean that's a mammoth amount of people that paid money to watch this mm-hmm. as well so looking forward to talking about it yeah, I don't think that'll ever be surpassed for a non-WrestleMania, given the times of within there with the WWE Network. People can pay a tenner a month and mm-hmm. then cancel it if they want to. Uh, but don't cancel it. You can go back and watch all these pay-per-views. You know, the well, nobody had to pay to watch this pay-per-view in the UK because it was broadcast live in Channel 4. Ah, back before they pulled the deal. Oh, great times. Oh, what a time you lived in. Uh, Next up, we've got the man who I've described as the Paul E. Dangerously, or Paul Heyman, that you say, of this particular panel. He's prone to a bit of madness, and who knows, if lockdown goes any longer, he may grow his hair out like he did when he used to go to Glastonbury like 10 years ago. Yes, I'm talking about Chris Murray. <laughs> I like it. Thank you, Stephen. I'll take it, I'll take it. Uh, I did think about growing my beard longer, but Lucy really, really hates it, so... I'm not going to do that, but yes, could not be happier to be here. Stephen, since you brought me back to ESSR in late 2019, I don't think there is a more hyped 
show that I've uh, been excited to watch than this one. So, so, so excited to revisit this. Not watched this pay-per-view in about 10 years and probably only watched it about twice ever. So just absolutely excellent to be diving back into this. Yes, for some inside information for the listeners here, uh, we got these list of panels out together in about early May. Uh, Chris messaged me about a week later going, I'm working this time, this time, this time. Please arrange the show for not this time, this time, and this time. He was that determined to make sure he made this particular record. Well, the, the reason I thought was, right, I under no circumstances was I missing this show. I would, I would like live do this show in the middle of work or something like that just like you know serving customers like just hang on two seconds yeah and another reason <laughs> um, but yes um i because I, I was thinking right the last time this happened i missed the final year of wcw show and that's actually the perfect precursor to listening to this show so if you missed that show like i did <laughs> stop listening to this pause it go listen to that and then come back and listen to us our final panellist was actually on that particular show he is the Shane McMahon of this panel purely because who knows he may show up in Panama City Beach with his traditional turtleneck on much like Shane did that particular <laughs> night back in March 26 <laughs> of 2001 it's Andy Mitchell hey how you doing you never know that I've got a few turtlenecks just in that wardrobe getting you know just waiting to get worn uh, only feels like yesterday I've been here but I know it's been quite a while I give credit to Shane for that night. He must have been absolutely roasted that particular night. He struts out with, yeah. the, with that woman turtleneck on. One of the most memorable nights in wrestling history. But the reason I bring that up is because that's kind of a prelude to this particular show because on March 26, 2001 Nitro, the final ever Nitro, Shane McMahon buys WCW and Storyline, of course, because you know, he, that just would not happen. You know, you do not steal a company from under your father's hat. <laughs> Cold dead hand. He's not dead, sorry. Uh, but no, that led on to this whole invasion uh, angle that led to this pay per view that took place on July 22nd, 2001. What a time that was. David Duval won his first and only golf major at the Open that particular year. Jurassic Park 3 was top of the UK box office. Oh, I love uh, Jurassic Park. It dethroned Shrek. Just a week before, and you remind me by Usher topped the US Billboard Hot 100. But that was not the important thing happened at Invasion, which took place at Cleveland, Ohio, at the Gund Arena, home of the Cleveland Cavaliers of the NBA and the Cleveland Monsters of the ice hockey fame. But more importantly, the Gund Arena was where Raw took place. March 26, 2001, the night that WCW had the final broadcast, and we've got that memorable moment between Shane and Vince. Great how it comes full circle in that particular way. Now, we are obviously going to talk about all the matches in the pay-per-view and everything that went on, but this has got great amount of demands, as I mentioned earlier on, you wanted to have a show at a particular time. And like one of our last... Uh, Look back shows me talking to King of the Ring 96. Chris is the judge, if I can get my words out here. Uh, you can tell that the math degree, not an English degree. And uh, watch some of the, the Raws and Smackdowns that led up to it. So, Chris, I'm going to give you the floor for a, for a couple of minutes and briefly explain how we got to Invasion 2001. So, when we did this for King of the Ring, it was so much easier because there was Raw and Raws an hour. Now, here we are in 2001, Raws two hours, Smackdowns two hours. Don't forget, stuff's happening on Heat as well. 
So I spent about, I don't know, like 20 hours <laughs> watching wrestling shows, skipping bits here and there. But uh, how do you sum up the best six weeks in wrestling history uh, in the space of two minutes? I'm going to attempt to do that now. Um, as you said, it's four months on from Shane McMahon buying WCW the week before WrestleMania 17. The timeline of the WWF in summer 2001 is King of the Ring on the 24th of June before fully loaded on the 22nd of July. Asterisk next to that. Uh, a little note on injuries and absentees at this point. So The Rock's been away filming Scorpion King since the night after WrestleMania. Triple H has been on the shelf since 21st of May. And Benoit is out for a year as well after King of the Ring. So some of the biggest guys aren't going to be around for any of this. So 28th of May, one week after Triple H explodes his leg, Lance Storm becomes the first WCW wrestler to appear on WWF programming, running in during a match between Steve Blackman and Trish against Perry Saturn and Terry. That's that was so question. random. Yeah. So random, isn't it? Of all the people to pick, Lance Storm. <laughs> I know it was in Canada, so he got a, he got a pretty decent pop didn't he, in reception, but it yeah. was so random. The crowd went absolutely mental. He's in full red and white maple leaf colours. He helps Steve Blackman get the pin, so by all, by all means, he seems like a face. But then after the break, he runs off to a limo led by Shane McMahon, with Shane saying, it's on, and Heyman on commentary mentioning, it's just begun. The same night, we get a vignette of someone outside Undertaker's wife Sarah's house. I wonder where that will go. Uh, two weeks later on SmackDown, Shane brings out WCW's Stacey Keebler to distract Rhino in his hardcore title match and help Test win the belt, obviously. Shane and Tess being good friends and then the following week on Raw one week before King of the Ring DDP is revealed as Undertaker's wife's stalker begging Undertaker to make him famous so them alongside Hugh Morris at this time had all appeared from WCW on WWF television that leads us to King of the Ring on the 24th of June just about a month before this pay-per-view took place on the night there's a rumour flying about that Chris Jericho or Chris Benoit should they defeat Stone Cold for the WWF Championship, are going to defect to WCW the next night on Raw in Madison Square Garden. Everyone in the WWF is pissed about this. Um, but at King of the Ring, Booker T interferes during the WWF Championship match between all three and sends Steve Austin through the announce table before running off through the crowd. Oh, also, by the way, he managed to break Steve Austin's hand in the process. Thankfully, Austin managed to get back in the, the ring, retain the title, and keep it with the WWF. But the next night on Raw, 25th of June, Vince says the WCW wrestlers are temporarily employed, and he's going to put them back out of business again. This time on the show, something absolutely mental happens. Mike Awesome debuts, attacks Rhino, and pins him for the hardcore championship. He's the first WCW wrestler to win a WWF title. Shane McMahon's over at WWF New York. He says, since you have prevented WCW appearing on television, it's now time for WCW to invade the WWF. I'm going to do what you did to your father, and I'm going to put you out of business. And Shane and Booker turn up to Raw, attack Vince, with Heyman and JR saying the battle lines have been drawn, and the WWF invasion is on. The next, uh, sorry, that week on SmackDown, Vince and Linda are in the ring this time, and Linda suggests the fair thing would be to allow WCW wrestlers to compete on the WWF. Vince rejects the idea, with Linda instead suggesting that the WWF and the WCW should compete head-to-head -head 
at the next pay-per-view fully loaded. Vince is totally on board with this idea. He renames the pay-per-view Invasion and promises to drive Shane and WCW out of business for good. Now, the amazing thing is, this is at the tail end of June. You've still got three weeks to the pay-per-view. They could have left it there. They could have left it there, and that would have been a perfect setup to Invasion. But there was so much more. That night on SmackDown, the show ends with Booker T clocking Stone Cold with the actual WCW title belt. It appears uh, appears on WWF television for the first time since Rick brought it out in 1993. See our impactful debut show for more on that. (laughs) In July, Shane announces that the main event of Invasion will be a five-on-five inaugural brawl. This is the night that Raw is closed out by literally turning into WCW. They have the ring aprons, the mic covers, the ramp, the Titantron, all got the WCW logo. Nick Patrick is in the ring as the ref. Arn Anderson and Scott Hudson are on commentary as announcers. What the fuck are we actually watching here? This is mad. Just watching this back, how iconic this moment was, despite it obviously being a massive disappointment. Main event, Booker T defends the WCW title against Buff Bagwell. It ends in DQ as Angle and Austin beat up both guys. And that week on SmackDown, we get a bonus WCW match as Billy Kidman beats Gregory Helms to win the WCW Cruiserweight title, a match I never knew existed until about six hours ago. Good match. Go and watch it. Uh, SmackDown is main evented by DDP challenging Booker T for the WCW title. Full WCW colors once again. And it ends with DDP leading the entire WCW locker room to attack The Undertaker. It doesn't stop on SmackDown and Raw, as on Heat, they have their first ever WCW match as Chuck Palumbo and Sean O'Hare take on Sean Stasiak and Chris Canyon. Again, like, not huge in the grand scheme of things, but just the fact that this was happening is wild. X-Pac on that same Heat as well also challenged Billy Kidman in a cruiserweight versus light heavyweight champion versus champion match at Invasion. Um, Then we get to the 9th of July episode of Raw, aka the best night on Raw absolutely ever. There's an inter-promotional match between Jericho and Kane against Mike Awesome and Lance Storm, and this is the moment where it all begins. Tommy Dreamer, Rob Van Dam hit the ring from the crowd. They beat up the WWF guys. The WWF locker room empties to hit the save, but... And the biggest swerve of this entire angle, well, maybe second biggest after the end of Invasion, uh, they all turn on the WWF. Dudley's, Rhino, Taz, Raven, and plenty more all team up. They destroy Kane and Jericho. Heyman hits the ring, announcing this invasion just got taken to the extreme. With all the former WCW and WWF wrestlers jo- uh, deciding to join to take on ECW, Shane tells Vince they need 10 guys to stop ECW as ECW have came into the McMahon house but the team doesn't last long as WCW and WWF turn on each other ECW then hits the ring and unites with the WCW guys led by Shane and Heyman Shane announces that he's personally responsible for the merger of WCW and ECW and that the new owner of ECW is none other than Stephanie McMahon JR ends the show screaming July 9th, 2001, a date that will live in sports entertainment infamy. May God have mercy on our WWF souls. It's wild. Go and watch that Raw. It's amazing. That, that week, SmackDown ends with a massive beatdown of the WWF by the entire alliance, with JR screaming for the return of old Stone Cold to come and save them. And then on the go-home Raw, 16th of July, Shane, Steph and Heyman announced that the Alliance team for Invasion will be Booker T, DDP, the Dudleys 
and Rhino. Little bits of ECW and WCW sprinkled throughout their team. They're going to be going against Taker, Austin, Angle, Kane and Jericho in the main event. And the show once again ends in a mass brawl. But this time, Stone Cold returns to the WWF. He saves them from the Alliance, has about 20 stunners on the entire roster and sets us up for the WWF's biggest non-WrestleMania pay-per-view of all time. Gary, I know you were saying a bit on the buy rate and how amazing it is. Uh, I found this little stat off of Reddit, which I really enjoy. So thank you, Optimum Fries, for this. He said that it's important to know that that's domestic US buys. This pay-per-view is actually more successful than most WrestleManias is because all the ones since WrestleMania 20 have had international buys inflating their numbers. This one actually outsells every WrestleMania since WrestleMania 18 and probably a few others as well. So as you can see, I am hyped for this. (laughs) Fabulous. I remember so many of these bits. I I was on holiday in the States watching Raw at like a normal time on the USD network when the ECW uh, alliance part happened and I was like I was watching I was like oh my god I can't believe this but there was like so much story there that was spun out in an hour and you know hindsight being what it is clearly they they made a lot of wrong choices along the way here but that story that could have went on for weeks and weeks to get that big payoff but it was just like oh my god it was so exciting to so exciting to watch and every time even some of the people we we joked about Lance Storm earlier on these were not big names but the impact the the story you could see it sort of unfolding and every time a WCW person appeared I was like super excited about this (laughs) at the time the writing that they did just I'm I'm not going to talk about anything after Invasion but the writing that they did to get to Invasion I thought was near perfect every single little detail was just phenomenal. There's a random heat that I watched in there where it's hosted by X Factor and Mm. all the way through the show, X Factor's Albert and X-Pac are going on a bit like, oh look at us, we've got the light heavyweight championship and the Intercontinental Championship and all the way through, Just Incredible's kind of like, here, what about me? And then they give him like a fake toy belt to sort of take the piss out of him and he throws it away and he's like, away you go. And then at the end of the night, he keeps trying to talk on the mic when they're being interviewed. And eventually you see him sort of storm off in a huff. I was like, that perfectly explains why he'd want to join the Alliance. It's just this tiny little storyline off of a random heat that makes perfect sense in the grand scheme of things. They did so well. Sorry, Chris, I'm not sure I just said all the writing was perfect. I mean, DDP is the stalker. Well, <laughs> I understand the rationale that that was a, a headline spot they put him in, you know, up with the Undertaker. But uh, I'm not sure. In my defence, <laughs> the Sarah storyline could be argued that it wasn't the same storyline as the Invasion storyline. Well. Yeah, it was, pre- it, was, it, was pre- <laughs> it was pre King of the Ring, which pretty much led to. Take a piece of crap out of him in that particular show. He just beats yeah. him up for about five minutes, and then you're meant to go. DDP's a threat, and then he becomes this creepy guy kidnapped because she didn't mention on the SmackDown, the Go Home SmackDown, he kidnaps Deborah. Yeah, in the back yeah. of a car. You know that was that was weird. I was actually like, yeah, I'm, I think I'm just going to leave that bit out. But there's a bit later on that I think we do need to talk about that when DDP's on camera, but we'll get to that later. Yeah, it's a it's an interesting build. It's a, it's a 
Actually, that's about kind of summarise that build and the time you go, because it's probably one of the best builds to a pay-per-view of all time, which is probably why you get such the buy rate that it does. But the whole pay-per-view, this Invasion 2001 pay-per-view, is centred around this big, massive, big field main event that you mentioned, the inaugural brawl that takes place at the end of the show. A 10-man tag team match, which, as you mentioned, you get the WWF team, an all-star team, in 2001 it's an all-star team but now it's even better you've got the Brothers of Destruction Kane and The Undertaker you've got Chris Jericho Kurt Angle Stone Cold Steve Austin taking on the Alliance team of Booker T DDP The Dudleys and Rhino uh, and they'll come to you because you've not really came in during that particular point but you feel when you watch this match back even now and then it's such a big match feel. One of the biggest big match feels I think they had for God knows how many years ago at this particular point, especially for a non-singles title match. Yeah, I think uh, what Chris was saying, it's kind of like the, the build-up to it. You know, it was just like, I think a lot of people were just excited to just see WWF against WCW. I think a lot of people didn't understand what inaugural meant, which kind of meant they thought <laughs> it's just a big sort of thing that's going to happen. And again, it was just, you didn't know who was going to show up, and I think a lot of people probably started to watch because it was like, is Sting going to show up? Is Rick Flair going to show up? Obviously, not a lot of people know about the Time Warner contracts other than behind the scenes, but it still was this anything could happen fight feel. And a bit of the shame is it's like there's only really two WCW people because the rest are all were all signed to WWF before, uh, but still, it was still a big, big match feel. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, Gary, one of the things I found that helped this thing, I thought it was really interesting, something they should maybe try and do a lot more. They had this whole thing, like, you had the Dudleys came out, and the Brothers of yeah. Destruction came out, and then it was just that kind of back and forth. They kind of made it feel like, you know, it was a bit different, but I think that's something that could probably work in any type of big match when you have one guy, one guy, as opposed to everybody just lumps out in their squads, as opposed to that. It's, it, it, I thought it was quite nice. I, I, I agree Stephen, I liked it, I really liked the entrance, I liked the presentation of it, I liked the set that they had for the era, you know, you had the WWF entrance, you had the WCW, ECW entrance, so that sort of storyline point of view, of course that would make sense that they had separate locker rooms, so I really liked that. I mean this match, they got a ton of time, the whole show was 2 hours 40 minutes, and this match was on for 29 minutes, um, so they got a ton of time for it. And um, you mentioned about the crowd. The crowd were really hot for this match. Um, uh, one of the things that struck me of this match is Kane is in f- absolutely phenomenal shape. Oh, he's, he's, he he's, he's, he's built like a shit house face. Oh, he really was. Uh, I thought the you know, looking back on it, the the commentary. I felt you know Michael Cole and Jr. wasn't a great combo in my view. And JR really buried WCW in the commentary. Um, he, I think he said at one point about their, you know, don't want to go back to watching their style of wrestling. Um, the ball. But there was uh, the finish of this match, there was some nice spots through it as well. There's a great bit in it where I was killing myself laughing me watching it where Stone Cold grabs Charles Robinson by the hair. He's the official outside the ring and drags him away <laughs> from the, what was it, the ring apron. But the finish of it was 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 fabulous. A really uh, good sequence there. 
you know, it was quite a crazy borrow. You had Charles Robertson, Robinson, sorry, getting the last ride. Uh, Kane choke slamming Devon through a table and table spots weren't as you know, they were becoming more common then, but one all over the place then. Kane being double suplexed through the other table. A cracking bump with Jericho shoulder tackle on Rhino when he jumped off the ring apron, hit Rhino and the two of them went through a table. Kurt Angle was absolutely on fire. Uh, oh, we take care of Booker T and Bubba Dudley and um, we got a ref, ref bump we got Shane and Vince getting in the ring and getting physical and then uh, the turn at the end of it oh, another turn by Stone Cold uh, as well and JR doing his best at the end why Austin why damn it yeah I, 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 I. On, I think the third bit on the WrestleMania 17 one, but that's kind of it's a bit more of a s- surprise to that one, and it's not in Blumen's Austin's hometown. I mean, that obviously doesn't help you try to get somebody turned in their hometown. Uh, but Chris, one thing about this match, I mean, this is no disrespect to any guys in the match. It's a ten-man tag. It's hard to construct a ten-man tag and keep everything entertaining and flowing all the time because you've got that tag, 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 and it's not like a Survivor Series tag team match where you have elimination elimination like the one that they have in the kind of Survivor Series 2001 with the kind of Alliance versus WWF thing so I think me personally watching this back it takes till about that kind of last uh, sequence the one Gary mentioned with the whole the choke slams through the table cut angle comes in hot as anything it's it's a great example of a natural face turn this thing with cut angle the way the crowd gets him and then obviously the stuff at the end with the finish you know it's um, Again, it's 29 minutes. You've got to try and keep people at the pace to get to that point. And it's hard for them, but they did an okay job. But it, the, the finish is great. It, the finish elevates the match to the three and a half star rating it gets from Uncle Dave and the Observer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I've really talked about the whole uh, face turn thing. Like, shortly before the event, there was a, a match where Kurt Angle absolutely batters Raven. And a lot of people are just like, oh, we never, we've never seen this side of him, of him before. And that's, that's them sort of building up him to take over Austin because obviously they need someone to, to fill that role I loved everything about this match um, I loved mm-hmm. the pr- promo before the match with Freddie Blassie um, oh, loved so so just him standing up and all that it's just it's ma- it makes it seem proper real like and it's nice to see like main event Dudley's main event Rhino and then both mm-hmm. getting time um like commentators acknowledge Rhino as the final ECW TV and final ECW heavyweight champion and they put him over massive like JR says if he hits the gore whoever it is it's mm. over and I was like they, they're they they're making out I know that they're not but they're making out that they're threatened by Rhino um, I, I love the the face Austin bit that we get before the match where he's talking to Vince and stuff like that um, Chris Jericho's entrance was wild uh, what you were saying about the split entrances, I thought that was really good. It's sort of, you know, obviously by the time we get to Survivor Series, they come out to, um, what was it, Powerman 5000 or something like that, all in one group, and um, it just doesn't have the same effect as this. It's, it puts them on this level pegging where they come out one by one, all with their own entrance musics. Um, the only thing I didn't like was what Gary said about JR. A couple of things stuck out to me that I didn't really dig about his commentary. Like, Booker T is the one guy in the alliance all the way through who's actually been pretty good. He's basically just 
And, like, apart from attacking Austin at King of the Ring, he's pretty much just came out, defended his belt, looked amazing. But he comes out, and straight away, JR's like, well, I know he's the WCW champion, but he's no Ric Flair, and he's no Sting. I was yeah. just like, fuck you. You know you can't get those guys, so why not put over the one guy you've got? And he was also the one that was good enough to take the buyout to be there. So I just thought it was kind of shit that he said that, because all he's done is stick by the WWF. Um, yeah. I love uh, Stone Cold entering as the brawl had broken out, just peak reaction. Um, all the WCW, ECW wrestlers looked great in the ring. Guys like Devon going against Austin, Rhino going against Austin, and getting their own moves in, I thought it was phenomenal. Um, and um, yeah, uh, Stephen, you said this, and it was the last line of my entire notes. I actually think that this is a bigger heel turn than WrestleMania 17. If you think about it, it's it's plausible in your head that Austin would want to side with Vince at the end of that show because he had to get his belt back but it, um, Invasion he's on top of the world he's got the belt he's got everything he could possibly need seeing him side with the Alliance was was mad I was just watching it I was like yeah this is so much a bigger deal and obviously well, fans aren't cheating him like they did at WrestleMania 17 yeah. so I think, yeah just brilliant match I think he's helped I think the Hilton's helped by that Two minute spell that Angle has. Because yeah. again, I mentioned the crowd are absolutely hot for Angle. He comes in and he's hitting everything, he's throwing everybody, Angle slab, everything. He has literally gone mental. You, you get that point, he has Booker T tap and he gets the crowd eating them. That's what makes the Stone Cold thing so well and so good. I mean, hindsight, you know, you look all these years on and you kind of know a bit more about the industry, you think, well, why logically would he go back to WCW? Because they literally threw him into the skip. Uh, as it said, you know, um, and in terms of commentary, you guys have mentioned that uh, it probably would have been helped if they kept Heyman on the on the calls. I thought uh, Heyman is massively un- is massively underutilized on this pay per view. He's kind of the side man to Stephanie. Well, they put him on comms instead of Michael Cole, like he had been on comms. It's not like it was a thing thrust in there. He had been on comms since what, January or something like that. Even. Yeah, yeah he, he became he took over from Jerry, Jerry Lawler uh, and they reinstated him on commentary like you know, having a WWF guy and a WCW guy so they recognised after the show I can't remember when after the show but they recognised that that dynamic wasn't right and he even came back on the comms then but yeah I think that's a really good point Stephen about Heyman's role in this he I mean, I'm not. Anybody that listens to this show knows I am no Stephanie McMahon fan. So I could have, I could have lived quite easily with Stephanie not being involved with this in any way, shape, or form. I can understand the story that they went with, um, but I'd have been quite happy with Heyman as the figurehead for ECW and Shane as the figurehead for WCW. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, there was something about this match as well. I don't know if you, any of you agree with me. It had reminded me, it gave me some flashbacks to Canadian Stampede in your house. You know, ten man tag, lots of stars in the match. Other people that would normally be in the main event in the uh, main event being elevated. Well. Uh-huh. There were some throwbacks to that for, for me in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely something about it. I mean, some of the things I've been looking down on this one. Uh, you mentioned, you mentioned Charles Robinson takes an absolute beating here, takes it one for the troops. 
Uh, there's a great fight I don't know Chris is usually the guy that points out the random signs in the crowd they, they, they timed so well that whole Austin sold out sign at the end it's just Stephen, like, I have a I have a whole section of my notes on the signs <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, yeah it's, yeah you're, you're right there's a guy that has a sign that says Austin sold out and I'm like are you saying that he sold out being like hug Austin to be old school Austin because you can't have known and it's almost like they gave you that poster when you came in the door so yeah that bug do you want, do you want some quick other sign facts yeah give me some quick ones go for it uh, one that really bugged me um, I, I love the Olsen twins the Olsen <laughs> twins had uh, are, are, you, are you saying you love the Olsen twins is that the sign no, that, that was the sign I promise um, the Olsen twins at this point had just turned 15 the previous month so check that man's computer um, and uh, <laughs> during Raven versus William Regal Scotland flag and it just said save chip on it oh that was a was that a soccer AM thing oh well I don't know but yeah I, I, I spied a, that a, I'm sure there's a soccer AM thing at that point uh, on you go sir <laughs> and uh, the last one just a poster and the crowd that was at the in the six man tag that said WCW country which I thought was interesting because now they've actually got to the stage where they can advertise people to buy tickets for something that is WCW related so they're obviously going to have WCW fans in which I thought was quite cool although like Cleveland it's sort of Cleveland's in a like the top, the northeast of America but not quite all the way up the northeast so you can't really class it as you know McMahon territory and it's not quite you know the southern states it's almost like it's kind of close to Ric Flair territory so it's cool that I saw that it showed that there were some people in that actually were supporting the WCW side Chris just before you hear your next sign on that point about the locations because I think this is really interesting and it's a topic for another show but you mentioned the Booker T Buff Bagwell match which took place in um Oh God, it's gone out of my head now. The state it was, was it on New in. Jersey. Yeah, thank you. Proper WWF country, and I think the following week they were in Georgia. Yeah, yeah they were in yeah. Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah. yeah. So why not just wait a week and do the match in Atlanta, where you've got a, a much better chance of that uh, audience reacting more positively to the match and the presentation? Mm-hmm. For it. For, for anybody who's a fan of early noughties soccer AM and gets the save chip, chip reference I'm going to say it here uh, <laughs> the full tagline it was actually save chip don't let Sarah win it's a campaign involved a football fan's plea to help save him from his girlfriend Sarah who would not let him watch his favourite sport and it became this whole big cult thing that everybody just tried to help this guy who's not allowed to watch football it was it WWE shows, rugby matches, the banner even appears on Chap Manager 2001 to 2002. I think that may be the best knowledge I've ever seen you recognising that flat, uh, sign because I had no idea what it is. But, um, oh, I remember, I love Socket, I love that. Socket AM when it was three hours on a Saturday morning, not the current hour and a half that nobody watches anymore. Sorry mm-hmm. to ever post that show then. <laughs> Who knows anyway? Mm-hmm. Uh, not, and that's the end of my sign section. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a it's a good main event. It kind of leads on to. I think it's kind of the peak of the storyline. Many people will argue because kind of 
they tried to sustain it without these big stars that we mentioned the guys that Andy said the likes of Sting Flair that they were going to that people thought right they showed up and they didn't get Flair till the night after Survivor Series didn't get Sting mm-hmm. till 2014 so see I feel like with that argument where it's like why not wait but I feel like they had to kind of like strike while the you know the was hot kind of thing because uh, just looking through it and it was just again just there was just so much build all the promos the pre-match promos and stuff were just so good it was like it was just a shame I remember when the Austin Hill turn I just remember being so confused because I didn't actually know what had happened kind of thing and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden it's like hot Austin Hill again and I think a little bit of me died inside and I think a, a lot of fans followed that because I think that's when stuff started to dip down and uh, I think McMahon uh, expected uh, saw that is there was no not much faith in WCW yeah I think the thing I found without these kind of stars they had to try and build the guys that they had the midcard guys in the problem is they didn't have a lot of success arguably bar one particular guy we we're going to mention now in the next match we're going to talk to is in many people's eyes this is a sleeper match of not just this show a sleeper match of WWE WWF in 2001 it's the match for the Hardcore Championship it sees yeah. Jeff Hardy defending the Hardcore Championship against ECW's Rob Van Dam uh, Chris uh, 2001 I had no idea who this guy was until he, until he popped out from the crowd on that particular rod that you mentioned I think I seen him in a magazine. I think I seen his face in a magazine because he was a TV champ for God knows how long in ECW. But my God, does this man put on a display in this match? Yeah, I think that this is the best match on the card. I what? loved it. Um, I think it deserves all the plaudits it got. Um, my first, well, I had sort of two exposures to Rob Van Dam. My one of them was Legends of Wrestling, which is all old dudes and Rob Van Dam. But I've just had a look and that came out in 2002, so it wasn't that. The other exposure I had to Rob Van Dam was I remember getting one of the ECW pay-per-views out the video shop. And I can't remember what actually happened in any of it, except in the opening match, Spike Dudley gets thrown into the crowd. And I've since looked up and that happened That's all the time, so that doesn't matter. Yeah, they could suffer quite a lot as well. Yeah. So, but yeah, I love this match. I didn't know until watching it that they faced each other in 1997 on Raw. Do you remember this? Uh, look the back. ECW, ECW, ECW invasion. The mini yeah. invasion. Yeah. So I went and watched that. Um, Jeff Hardy was like my favourite wrestler in the world. I've said that on basically every show I've ever been on for USSR. Um, RVD attacking Matt Hardy before the match just to remind you that he has to be the heel, even though the crowd clearly love both love of these them. guys. Yeah. Um, Jeff Hardy has had a mental year that gets mentioned on commentary but just isn't given enough praise that in 12 months he's won the Intercontinental title, the European title, the Hardcore title and the Light Heavyweight title. Um, They work so well together. They Just every move they do, they've got the standing moonsault in the crowd that RVD does. There's the apron powerbomb that that Jeff does to RVD. There's the mental ladder bump, which I thought looked terrifying. Like Normally when Jeff gets flung off something, he's landing on a human or some sort of wood. This time he just lands on the ramp and it was scary as hell. There was the Van Daminator off the stage and again into the corner. There was Jeff blocking the split leg moonsault, which was a nice callback because... He beats Jeff with the split leg moonsault in 97, so Jeff knew to stop it. 
the... You give them far too much credit there. I know, I, I totally <laughs> am, and I'm going to roll with it. Uh, Jeff hits that DDT on RVT, RVD where he like manages to bounce straight up from his neck. I, he's done that bump so many times, I still don't know. Uh, and of course, the finish, we saw it coming. RVD blocks this one, Tom, hits the five star for the win. It was a dream match to come out of this whole storyline. They had a whole feud. Um, I advise everyone to go away and watch in 2002 where they were tagging for a bit as well, including TLC4. Um, Love the match, best match on the card. Um, But just, I was so sad that RVD won because Jeff Hardy was like my hero. Yeah, it's uh, Andy, one of the things that Jeff Hardy, we saw in the late 2000s how much of a role he goes on as a single star. You know, he ended up becoming the WWE Champion. This is properly, Chris mentioned he did have these these achievements, but this is his first proper breakout mm. as a single star. And my God, does he take the opportunity because this is a match, you know, it's for that, it's the only match on the card for a title, so the only thing that really means proper stakes. Everybody's like, oh no, it's, it's, the scorecard is absolutely nothing. They carry the match on heat, for God's sake. Uh, but this is getting proper stakes, and it's like, you, it followed a lot of crap. There was a lot of crap matches before, mm. but they've got, they've got, Probably a wee bit of pressure as well because no offence to the four ladies after it, but they're never going to be the ones who hold up the show. So maybe a bit of pressure, but they, they, they deliver. Yeah, no, it's just again. I think uh, as probably most of us, it was like the first time we'd seen Rob Van Dam, like actually, like other than them when he was a part of the invasion. Uh, it was just again. I think Jeff Hardy get should get a lot more credit because he's selling. Like mad for Ronda, Rod Van Dam, and again as Chris mentioned with the ladder bump, it's just, it's just I just remember that match where it's just Jeff Hardy's getting brutalised and Rod Van Dam is doing things with chairs I don't think I'd ever thought could be done with chairs because <laughs> I'd never ever watched DCW and stuff. But I just remember it just being this just mental moment, and yeah, and the crowd was just cheering all for basically both of them, and I guess like 12 minutes is the match. And it's like again, it's it kind of stole the show. As you said, there was a lot of crap beforehand, and then straight after this, it's the brand panties match. Uh, and yeah, it was just a, it was just a nice little snug, underrated match. That I don't think gets a, a lot of credit. Yeah, the the ladder bump, JL's call on it is the one that is, is used in the "Don't Try It at Home" video mm. that they had for so many years during that particular point. How do you learn to fall off a twenty foot ladder? Yeah. That's, I think that's the only time Jeff landed on his feet from a 20 foot ladder. <laughs> I mean, it was utterly, it was a tremendous spot, it was a tremendous match. Uncle Dave gave it four stars out of five, um, which actually, I think, I think, think it's probably fair rating. Uh, I would have loved to have seen these guys, do, you know, we'll talk about it in a bit. I mean, I could have lived without the six man tag match. I mean, imagine if you'd given these guys another four minutes, because I thought, you know, if you had to be nitpicky, the match probably I thought the finish came quite sudden there wasn't many near falls in the match but that's like really nitpicky I thought it was tremendous and you could see here the the early signs of Jeff Hardy as a breakout single star Uh, people wanted it uh, big style but both of them were were completely over and the crowd were really hot for the match and Andy made a really good point because there's moments in this match where the, the crowd's up and then they come back down and then back up and it was it was utterly tremendous very few matches on this card that go over 10 minutes uh, there's an early tag match the opening match is 10 minutes 10 then you've got this match and then you've got the 10 man tag which leaves 7 matches 
that were under 10 minutes. Was it just you were saying about how the finish kind of there weren't many near falls, but I just remember that it made that five star frog splash look amazing. I've never really, because of all That's how, amazing. Yeah, I know <laughs> it's amazing, amazing, but it just, <laughs> it just made it more amazing because obviously he does the thing where he looks like he's hurt himself in the process and it just sold that finisher. But everybody knew the frog splash, but they hadn't seen it been done like Thanks. that so yeah uh, Van Damme's has made it better he still uh, was the yeah. most people did it kind of just they were they were prone in a way that was logical but Van Damme always found a way he would kind of contort his body in so many directions and as it's you really- said he sold it it was not I just felt like it was like it was like WWE All-Stars where he just somehow went further in the air than he was supposed to mm-hmm. yeah and then I think I mentioned the closing stretch of the the 10 man tag I quite like the closing stretch of this one where it kind of gets the Chris mentioned in the DDT cell it's so good to how vertically this goes and my, my one nitpick my nitpick with anything like this is see the, the, the title part on the frog splash the title's facing up the, the bit is meant to hurt surely you should put it the other way around that gets more impact but that's just me being really nitpicky but it's it's great and it is a great because we talk about Van Damme in the space of three months he goes from being the hardcore title match and then in No Mercy in October he's in a triple threat angle in Austin for the world title he's the big guy he's the guy they talk about being defector and obviously then he gets he gets inserted into the five you know the five on five at Survivor Series which is a credit because you look at Shane kind of gets inserted in The Rock's inserted in WWS because he wasn't there Van Damme's worked his way into it and then he wins Wrestle of the Year in 2002 in Pro Wrestling Illustrated he's just that that good you know uh, I'm quite glad he doesn't wrestle as much anymore though because it's just leave the memories alone <laughs> for Van Damme leave the memories alone because no this is they, 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 they have a good match as well Chris, you mentioned the 2002 stuff. The matches, so this ladder and Barter's really good as well. I believe it's a ladder match that they have. Yeah, yeah, and and that's what made it good is is that they didn't like because this was for the, this could easily have been a ladder match, but because they didn't make it a ladder match which utilised a ladder, it left them that to do as well. Like this is a hardcore match that uses a chair and a ladder. And I think it's one of the best hardcore matches we've ever seen. Um, and yeah, it just it it just gave it gave their it gave their feud like room to breathe. Whereas you know, where when I don't know Lashley and Drew fight five pay per views in a row and they're all just singles matches, you you can't get people as invested in that. So yeah, I was I loved all of the Jeff Hardy Rob Van Dam stuff. It bugged me that RVD always won because he wasn't the WWF guy and. Jeff was my favourite wrestler so um, it was good when they eventually decided to team up <laughs> I mean the thing on the flip side with Jeff is you think Jeff's history with you know his substance abuse and that type of thing has probably been the thing that's let him down his career I think he had a lot of that more early in his career and that's obviously I think why WWF let him go in 2003 2004 time but they were kind of there was moments like this and there was them stuff in 2002 with Undertaker they thought they were they really really wanted to push him but the U.E. was a bit of a liability at times, which is a shame because he's fantastic, you know. And now that he's a, now that he's clean, his body's absolutely fucked. So they don't even they, they can't they don't even use him half the time on Raw. He just shows up randomly backstage, really. So why am I not in Money in the Bank? Well, you've not been on Raw for three months. That's why you're not in Money in the Bank. <laughs> it's sad. Jeff Jeff Hardy's probably going to be 
one of the last of his sort of era that will probably in wrestling just peter out like big big stars in WWE now don't really do that they'll either go somewhere else or they'll be there till they're dead like you, you saw it sort of happen well it's happened to a bunch of guys but like they, their, their career just sort of comes comes to a natural end and like we I'm going to time travel and say that we'll talk about this a bit on the Christian show he's sort of all the similar era where they, they do they do everything with them and then they're just like oh well that's us with you I just you, I can't think about the end of Jeff Hardy's career because everything we got before that has always been really really good Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a fantastic match. If you've never seen it, this is always the match in my head that stood out. I always mm. thought that the backstage attack was attacking Jeff in my head again, and then I rewatched it, going, "Yeah, oh, attacks Matt." Mm-hmm. But it works out a lot better. Uh, now we've talked about the inaugural brawl. We've talked about this fantastic hardcore table match. Unfortunately, looking back on this pay per view, there's not much else to really shout about. So um, there's a yeah. We're not talking about the match on Heat. We've got eight other matches, and they don't deserve to get the same treatment we've given these two matches. So we're going to kind of condense them in a wee bit. Uh, so I've got three matches to kind of in this particular segment to go into. It's a kind of multi, the multi men matches that we had in the show. There was three of them in particular. There was the match that opened the show, which was Asian Christian taking on Lance Storm and Mike Awesome. We had the match between the respective brands. Champions from the tag teams. We had the APA taking on Chuck Palumbo and Sean O'Hare. And we had the match that you guys have mentioned quite a lot the six man tag team match, the all star match, the greatest match of all time. We've seen the team of Alba, who was the Intercontinental Champion at this point in time, the Big Show, and ESSR's own favourite, Billy Gunn, taking on Chris Canyon, Hugh Morris, and Sean Stasiak with Mr. Perfect Music and Hope. Uh, yeah, we, we we need to talk about this because obviously, if you didn't watch WCW, then <laughs> you don't know that there's a storyline there. But yeah, I, I, I was like writing, <laughs> I was like writing notes, and then I'm, I'm not gonna lie. Even though I've seen this pay per view multiple times, I was like, is Mister Perfect one of the guys? And then of course Sean Stasiak comes out, and I was like, oh yeah, that's right, he stole his music. But how weird was it? Hearing Mr. Perfect's music, what, for the first time since WrestleMania 10? Would that have been the last time? Uh, um, no, he came out. We talked about it at the King of the Ring 96 show. He was the referee. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. So, I can't remember what he did after that, but. but you, you know, it's not. It's just not a tune that you hear very often. And I was just like, oh my god, he's back. Oh, no, he's not. <laughs> because wasn't the whole gimmick with Sean Stasiak he was better than Perfect? Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, yeah. Terrible. I mean, I mean, Andy, we talked about it on that final year WCW show, the last Nitro ever, uh, and they had the match, the blow-off match between Stasiak and Bad Bigelow, where if Stasiak lost, he would have to get tattooed, and the match ends in 36, with Stasiak winning. Oh, God. Against Bad Bad Bigelow. <laughs> I mean, this match, it was, so, it was so random. Even the commentators were making fun of Billy Gunn. You know, he's saying he's not been around much. And, <laughs> and then, uh, as well. <laughs> and you had, you know, they, we talked about the the entrances for the main event and the WCW guys, I thought, just looked like jobbers because you've got the three WWF guys coming in, separate entrances, and then you just the three WCW guys, which most of the audience would they know a great deal about. 
appeared at the same time. The only good thing I can say about this match was there was an impressive spot at the start where they had the three Gorilla Press slams at the same time. I can't remember who lifted who up, but the three WWF guys uh, had the overhead press on the three WCW guys. Um, and um, other than that, it was a wee bit of a, a waste of time, I think. Um, I wrote something here, I can't even remember what this was, maybe when he's can remember I wrote down there was a nice sequence involving Canyon. Must have been the close of the match, but I can't remember why I wrote it down. <laughs> who, better than, who better than Canyon? Uh, they, they, they must have seen something in Canyon because he has a... Him and DDP won the tag titles, they feud with him, they feud became Undertaker. He then wins the US chapter title, but then he unfortunately gets, he gets put into the B-shows and then he gets injured. He does his ACL in a dark match in October this year against Randy Orton. That's like the clashing of, uh, clashing of eras, isn't it? So, uh, yeah, yeah you, you, the closing sequence of the match, um, I hated it. I hated the finish. Morris didn't know who was getting the pin, and it was, oh god. They could have done something with this match, that's what bugs me, is because, like, Stasiak had a history with WWF, so they could have played on that. Like, did you hear the uh, fans? Fans were chanting meat. At one point, and I was like, "Wow, I'm surprised." We that <laughs> I was really surprised that anyone remembered that. And then they also, as soon as the match starts, they mention the Big Show as a former WCW champion, a former WWF champion. I'm like, "That's that's all you're giving us with that." The biggest, like, uh, what, what's the word? Like, bit of duality in this whole show, and you do nothing with it. So yeah, yeah this was the shows, worst of the three tag matches. To be fair, shows and shows in one of the worst shapes he's in. In his yeah. whole career. Yeah. That and probably 2005, 2006, he's in terrible shape. When, just before he wins the ECW title, he's an absolute freaking wreck of a shape. Because uh, he's kind of, he gets chucked into the Survivor Series match because they do the whole thing with Angle turning. He kind of takes Angle's place. But he, as you say, he's a massive deal when he's stuck in with Albert and Billy Gunn. Well, isn't Big Show and Billy Gunn an actual tag team at this point? Yeah, yeah they, they are. are. They're, 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 they're a tag are. team. He's the one Billy Gunn. He's not even Mr. Ass, he's the one Billy Gunn. He's the worst point of Billy Gunn. Oh, you know. I do love it that uh, JL just rips the piss out of him. Uh, <laughs> I think he's got someone against uh, Billy Gunn. Uh, I mean, there's APA versus Palumbo and O'Hare as well. As uh, I say, it's a, a match with tag team champions. Uh, they give it a bit of a big match feel as well. And it's a bit of a promo package as well before it, which is interesting. Uh, APA. Gary, I'll go you. Mega over. Absolutely, and they had taken on this sort of role of uh, locker room leader, or visible locker room leaders, if I can put it that way, leading the charge for the WWF, which uh, helped there, but yeah, they were super, super over. Unfortunately, that's probably the nicest thing I can think about saying for this match, because I thought this match was as dull as dishwater. Uh, seven minutes. Uncle gave Dave gave it a one one star, and there's not a really great deal to hear about it. There was, you know, nice brawling spots on it. The build up to the match included um, the SmackDown beatdown of the Natural Born Thrillers, which I thought was quite good, and I liked how the WWF guys had outsmarted them that time and. Some of them came into the ring and the other ones came in through the crowd and caught a hold of them. But this match, 
you know, the two tag champs squaring off against each other, this to me felt like it should have been a, a big time match on the show and uh, felt like a bit of a throwaway. The finish came from pretty much nowhere as well. It's flat. Thought, it, it's, it did just get a little they must have got a sign uh, to say, right, you go home now. On it. I, I was disappointed with this match overall. The bad that my notes, one of the few things I've got in my notes is, oh, there's our truth in the promo package. <laughs> yeah, or was it was it K Quick at the time? It was K Quick at the time. I mean, when I look at this, when I look at this card, Stephen, um, you know, there's there's ten matches we said on it. I think this could have been a five match show, and people would have been dead happy with it. Why? 100%. The five and five match, the hardcore match, the two tag champs going against each other, the cruiserweight champs going against each other, and I had to put the ref match in as a as a break in between between the semi main event oh. and the main event. We'll talk, about the, we'll, we'll talk about the ref matches after this, all these tag matches. Sorry, I was just going to say, because if you look at the times other than the Bob Van Damme and the inaugural brawl, they're all like five, six, seven minutes kind of long. <laughs> it's just like you could have put the APA with Chris Canyon and Albert Show and had that as just another big brawl kind of thing or a battle royal or something, but yeah, it just. Because they do that as Survivor Series, because I think the thing, Chris, you've got, um, I think it's fair to say, John O'Hare, they, they tried to bring him back in about 2003 on SmackDown, they put him with Roddy Piper, should have been a big deal, but never quite worked out for him, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's still really raw at this point. Chuck Palumbo, who had about a million gimmicks, mm-hmm. he's still very raw at this particular point. And if you look at the other tag match, we've not mentioned about the Edging Christian versus Storm, an awesome one. That match is really, only really serves as a way to kind of tease this future Edge and Christian feud that's kind of a side note to this whole invasion angle in the coming months. Because, I mean, Lance Storm, fantastic wrestler, Dallas Dishwater. Dishwater, Mike Awesome, fantastic wrestler, Dallas Dishwater. You know, Edge and Christian are the two most charismatic guys on the roster, near enough, so. Mike Awesome, the fat chick thriller. You're saying he was Dallas Dishwater, Stephen? I, I actually yeah. liked both of these tag matches. Um, I liked the, the two tag champions. I thought that you had, uh, Gary sort of touched on it, you had your mid-card leaders going head-to-head. Like, Chuck and Sean were the first ones to proper start attacking people after Landstorm and Hugh Morris did it. And then the APA, of course, were the jobber leaders. It was quite difficult to get someone to go against the APA and not look shit but then Sean O'Hare and Chuck Palumbo are two big guys so mm-hmm. in stature the match made sense so you ended up getting like a good sort of short big men match I don't think that Sean O'Hare and Chuck Palumbo should have gone under as quick as they did I think they had a, a real potential to make these guys a big deal in the WWF and um, as for the other match you, you know I thought this was a good way of kicking it off I think Landstorm and Mike Awesome were good choices because obviously Landstorm was the first wrestler to invade and Mike Awesome was the first to win a championship so it was a good place to start and Edge and Christian like it's almost like oh we have to take out these two guys right we'll send out our two best guys Edge and Christian are the most accomplished tag team in the federation at this point so I thought that was a good idea um, Edge, Edge just off in the king of the ring as well yeah exactly so um, 
and, and and they got put over as well. Like JR says that the WCW guys are not interested in championships. And I was like, oh, of course, that makes perfect sense because WCW guys don't want WWF championships. They're inferior to them. So that makes sense. Um, Michael Cole also calls Mike Awesome the most impactful star the Alliance have had so far, which I thought was really, really good. Um, Landstorm, as you say, he's, he's so dull, but he's got so many little moments where he's such a good wrestler. Like, did you did you see the did you see the point as well where he like absolutely hoofs Christian off of the ring post and you hear his chest thump? I was like, oh man. But yeah, they, they're both like Landstorm moves like a cruiserweight, and then Mike Awesome moves like a man who should not move for his size. And all the way through the match, I was just thinking, it, it, we can never understate how fluid Edge and Christian are as a tag team. Like, this is their last hurrah, right? This is effectively like yeah, their last time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're split up before, in the time since here. I don't know if they make the SummerSlam. Mm. Uh, so, so I thought this was, this was a good way to end Edge and Christian, was for them, you know, they're not always the faces in WWF, so it was nice for them to come out, like, valiantly fighting. Like, they had to go outside of their comfort zone to win this. Christian wins the match for Edge with a spear of his own. I know obviously it can maybe be sort of said that they were sort of doing the one-upsmanship, but I think it was meant to be that they had to go all out to beat these two guys, and that's why Vince picked them to take on Lance and Mike Awesome, because he knew that they would pull everything out to beat them. I know I'm getting very buried in the kayfabe here, but I just, I really enjoyed these two. I think Lance Storm and Mike Awesome against Edge and Christian was the best one. The APA was setting best, and the sixth man was the worst. Yeah, I think... I think the thing about it just before we move on is you look at the tag team depth in the WCW side at this time there wasn't a lot because just before they kind of finished I mean these guys were tag chips and they'd just beaten they'd beaten DDP and Kevin Nash for the belts so they obviously didn't have Kevin Nash they were feuding with uh, I think the final feud I can't remember they were final feuding but in terms of tag teams at that point in WCW the big tag team was Ray Mysterio and Billy Kidman who were the cruiserweight tag team champions to finish off and obviously they got Kidman who we'll talk about later didn't get Rey Mysterio which is a big a big loss at this mm-hmm. particular time and other tag teams if you look at the, the tag teams that they kind of had the, the Harris brothers they were never going to bring them back let's be brutally honest I'm sure one of the nasty, one of the nasty boys was still in WCW don't know if yeah Nobs yeah, yeah. was still so there was that issue and these two tag teams were not tag teams for long after in this whole alliance run Lance Storm ends up tag teaming with the Hurricane that's a bit of a mismatch. Uh, and in terms of other tag teams, uh, obviously the Dudleys were in the main event, so they couldn't use them at this point. Obviously, if you had the Dudleys AP, that would have been a complete different kettle of fish. Um, and the other tag team that they bring in during this particular point, I mentioned DDP and Canyon, but the other one is Chronic. Brian Adams and Brian Clark, and that did not work out at Unforgiven 2001. A match against negative stars from Dave Meltzer, so... <laughs> That's a complete disaster. So I think they made, they, these are the teams they had, and they went with it. Because Landstorm and Boston were a tag team, you know, they were part of Team Canada. Yeah. So they made the most of it. But as I said, the, the, the first match is better, and Dave Nelson agrees, and they say, I gave that two and a half styles, which is a good rate for an open yeah. tag team match, to be fair. Uh, so we also we mentioned, Gary mentioned a particular match, and it's one of the two matches in this show that are called the Mick Foley matches, because you know, Mick Foley's there getting. Arguably one of the biggest pops of the whole dang show. Oh, oh. Uh, and uh, so the two matches he gets, he, he's refereeing the battle of the referees, 
you know, Nick Patrick versus Earl Hebner. And he also is a surprise referee later in the night for the Brad Fantasies match. Tony Wilson, Stacey Keebler against Lita Trish. We'll start with the referees match. I was going to say, you should have put that hype package of, you know, uh, Limp Biscuit, you know, my way, Earl Hebner, WWF, Nick Patrick, WCW. They give it some build, to be fair. It gets, it gets one of the biggest, best promo packages in it. They kind of make it like, oh, the referees have stolen your locker room, they're using it. Oh, you did. The, the, the promo video they showed for this was longer than the match, I think. Yeah, the match was two minutes and 50 seconds, so I've got the Wikipedia to start, you know. If you can call it a match. <laughs> <laughs> it was a comedy match, I think it was, it done its function. If it they went on longer than three minutes, I think it would have been uh, one of the worst things to watch. But I think it's just funny. It gave him a moment, but again, could have really done without it. And it was a part of Mick Foley's agreement that he was allowed to referee three matches of his choice. This being his second one after uh, com- after finishing his commissioner. I don't know, it's just a daft match, throw it in, uh, you know, and for some reason, uh, it's still memorable 20 years later. Yeah. Somehow. I got it, I mean, give Nick Patrick a bit of credit. He sells Earl Hebner's absolutely awful punches like a superstar. <laughs> he, he, he really does. He's, he, he's a super sells some awful. There was... Uh, I can understand why WWF do things like this. It's comedy match. It's supposed to be light-hearted. The placement of it's interesting. Doing it as the second match, I would have probably thought more sort of half time towards the end, give people a wee bit of a yeah. break. Because at this time, the crowd are hot. You know, they were really hot uh, for the show to start with. I actually quite enjoyed the build of it. I liked the story of Nick Patrick being the crooked referee, which was part of the the story in WCW. I liked that bit. I liked the rest brawling with each other. The WWF certainly had a massive numbers advantage oh. here. Um, there was the, the sh- was it a shoulder tackle that happened in the match that had a big sell from it, but I think JR summed up when he said the match was bowling shoe ugly. <laughs> but I think it was fun. I think it was fun. It was there to be fun, and I, I you know, a couple of minutes. And I think Andy's right. If it'd been any more than that, different story. But I thought this was a fun match. Yeah, uh, Chris. JR also says very on, very early on in the match before it starts. This, this is not going to be a pretty match. So he kind of gives the prelude to it. But I think it's like it's quite memorable for the kind of names and the referees that were there at the time. You know, if Terry Long was out there, Tim White. You know. Tim White for his famous uh, exchanges Tell with George Matthews in his bar. Uh, he was yeah. killed every week, you know. Yeah. Uh, Jim Jim Corderas as well. Uh, the WCW side uh, was it one of the head? Was it? I recognised the non-blonde one. I recognised because he's in WWE later, I think, but I didn't recognise the bleach blonde one at all. I'm sure I've recognised him, but I think he was. I, I can't mean his name now, but uh, obviously Charles Robinson was there. He's kind of he's still yeah, there, you know. He's he's yeah. he's, 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 he's more WWE now than he was WCW. But Let's talk about it, right? I have a huge thought about this match. Should it have been Charles Robinson? I know that Nick was the bad guy, but if you wanted a wrestling match, I would believe that Charles Robinson would be a better wrestler than Nick Patrick. Because obviously, Nick Patrick at this point was pretty injured and not like he would retire. Uh, a few years down the line because of his injuries. 
Too but with, I could have, I could have seen it. I could have seen it being Charles Robinson. To be fair with Nick Patrick, he was probably one of the bigger heels of the uh, WCW. Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> Nick Patrick was the crooked referee in WCW. He was the NWO referee. Outside of those, like, I thought they bumped quite well. I thought, like, they yeah. threw themselves about quite well. Um, I liked Earl Hebner coming out to what sounded like Metallica. Uh, that was pretty cool. Um, and they're quite, they're quite good at selling. And then I was thinking about it, I was like, oh, of course. That's, like, literally their job. They're probably some of the best sellers in the business. Like, it's just, they do it in the background, so you don't notice them. So, yeah, overall, it was, uh, as Gary said, it was absolutely fine for it to be there. Um, and it was good that WWF got the win. And, of course, this storyline isn't really over, so it was just a fun little thing to have. Uh, Brian Hebner's the, the bleach bond. Is Errol he? Errol Somme, he's, he's the bleach bond. Errol Hebner's son. Yeah, Errol Hebner's son. Yeah. He's the bleach bond. This is the WCWF. They should have yeah. had Errol versus... Uh, sorry, what's the son called again? Brian. 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 Yeah, they should have uh, had Errol versus Brian with the, think, the other Hebner brother as the actual ref. I think well, they Brian. Should, I, then they should have got another one and they could have just had a Hebner in every corner. <laughs> yes! <laughs> I, think, I think Brian had just, he just started being a referee. I think he was kind of an extra WCW ref. I don't think he was a WCW ref and WCW. I think he was just there. So I think he was just an extra body at that particular point. But mm. the other fully refereed match, Brian Panty's match, uh, it's a it's a hard one to kind of talk about. Twenty years later, uh, no intended. I'm gonna be. I'm gonna. I'm gonna give a brutal honest opinion of the match on this one. Not not talking about the Brian Panty side of things. Uh, they clearly wanted to get a women's match on the belt. To get a, to have that aspect of it, and let's be brutally honest, the WCW women's roster was not brilliant at the end of WCW and coming in. So they've got Tori and Stacy here, and let's be brutally honest, they were raw as raw as anything. They were not wrestlers. Yeah. They were not we, wrestlers. No, they, yeah, they never became, They were never good as wrestlers even later on in their career. I mean, yeah. Tori Wilson's a Hall of Famer, you know. But three out of four of these women are Hall of Famers. We can't disrespect them too much. Come on, uh, Lita was the more was the bit was the wrestler at this point because Trish was still coming through. So mm-hmm. I think this was the one. This is the go-to match for WWE at this point with the female wrestlers who weren't wrestlers. But that's all you can really say. <laughs> well, one of the things I thought was interesting about this match was the early presentation of Tori and Stacey. By that I mean like the entrance we got from them because these two would go on and they were obviously not great wrestlers by any stretch of the imagination but they were great characters and they were a big part of WWF programming for a long time so you know Stacey and Tori you know they had songs or themes when they hit the audience knew who was coming and they always reacted to them uh-huh. Yeah. And who, who will ever forget when she had the job interview to be Mr. McMahon's assistant as well? These two have two of the most memorable angles ever. She's, she had testicles. Stacey had testicles. And uh, Tony's yeah. dad got married to Don Marie. So I just think it's really fascinating to see you know the origin uh, of, of their the WWF careers here. It was the, you know, uh, the match was what it was. There was a. I think they, you know, they tried their best for for it. Um, 
there was a reversal in the match with um, was it Trish on or on uh, Tori when she pulled Tori's trousers off her. That was a nice tra- that was a nice transition. Well, they said in commentary, in commentary, they said it was the most scintillating reversal in wrestling history. It's um, it's bad. On my notes, one of the big things I've got in my notes is JR is a pair. Yeah. Yeah, the, I bet uh, Jerry Lawler was kicking himself that he wasn't uh, part of the commentary team at, uh, on that very night. He he'd have wanted to be the referee, wouldn't he? Yeah. I mean, the one thing I've got to, I would say is it's a very early point in the Trish Lear feud. It's kind of the beginning of it. Mm-hmm. It kind of starts it off because it's like, let's be, you know, and the Hardys, the Hardys must be loving life in this whole their involvement in the storyline. And this was the type of role that women were given at the time. Uh, yeah. They were given these very short uh, throwaway matches that were more often than not there for for a bit of light relief. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Let's, I'm trying not to say this in a way it sounds disrespectful. It's the pee break match in this show. Yeah. It's, it's no disrespect because it comes after the hardcore title match and it comes... I mean, we're going to talk about three matches that could have also been in that spot, but it's literally before the hardcore... It's after the hardcore title match, before the big brawl at the end. Everybody just, everybody's wanting to see... Well, Lie that it's 2001. Everybody was happy with the scene at that point. They wouldn't get the wouldn't float these days. But yeah, it's, it's not it is what it is. Yeah, it's not a typical masterpiece, and it is just kind of like what is it? They just have to remove each other's clothes. All oh, right, I can, <laughs> I could just sit and watch that because young boys in the audience and all that yeah. crap. It's a, it's a it's a women's match of that time. So you can't give it too much disrespect because uh, this match is probably one of the reasons some people's dads bought them Here Comes the Pain because that was the main feature of that game. That was one of the selling points apparently in 2004, three years later. Chris, you want to add it before we move on? Yeah, I can uh, read you my entire notes when they had the promo with Keebler and Tori touching each other earlier in the show I just wrote fuck this <laughs> and then um, when we got to the, the match I wrote skipped it's 5-5 five, five. Um, yeah so I mean I, just I had two thoughts one I'm watching this show in an analytical sense um, so I had no interest in it if I wanted to have a lovely time and hang out on my own I could have watched it but I was no I was just not interested I was like I have I'm watching this in the middle of the day the windows open I've got neighbours just skip the whole skip the whole thing fuck them fuck the four of them have a close your focus but yeah that was the female matches up and there's a six pack challenge at Survivor Series 2001 it's a much better watch it's actually a bit more proper wrestling it's also the Winter Stratamental first the bear championship yeah. I, did, I did think of one other tiny little thing and that is that wasn't Medusa kicking about in WCW at the very end of, of she was I believe not, could you not have got her back could you not have paid mm. her all the money like, then, nah probably she, still she, about she was one. she was probably on a one on contract yeah fucking Fuck that match. Spoiled the whole pay-per-view. <laughs> but let's uh, talk about the final three matches of this particular show. Uh, 
Uh, no, she, she retired once the WCW... Oh, this is, this is great, actually. Here's the line I found on the Medusa before we move on. She retired from professional wrestling for good in 2001 because she did not like the direction in which women's wrestling was going. According to her, it was becoming less about real wrestling and more about bra panties matches. <laughs> <laughs> she knew! She knew! <laughs> this was her future. Yes, she was right to choose monster trucks over bra and panties matches. She... Also, uh, she heard that Vince was buying WCW, and she had a falling out with. Obviously, well, obviously she had a falling out with Vince, <laughs> so she didn't want to go back. So there's the story with this. But that, all that Brad Patty's like was quite good to give in the match that actually it killed. <laughs> uh, we've got three more matches on this particular show to kind of close out the show, and these are the matches that uh, these could have been pissed matches. Let's be brutally honest. Uh, these three particular matches was. Billy Kidman taking on X Buck. This was the cruiserweight champion versus the light heavyweight champion at that particular point. He had Raven versus William Regal, who, had, who was the WWF commissioner, and Raven was a hobo. And we had Tajiri taking on Taz. Last uh, big point I have on this one, guys. X Buck is 29 at this point. Jesus. Feel like he'd been about for God knows how long. But he had been. I, I love the references to X-Pac Heat at that point in time because that was a massive thing. Everybody just wanted to fuck off. Aye. How can we miss you if you never go away? And, yeah, the leader of the X-Factor, I mean, that was not exactly it. That's up there with the Blue World Order. I suspect neither of them were mentioned on our best, or will be featured on our ESSR best stables. Well, they did have entrance music by Uncle Cracker. <laughs> he, he, he apparently asked for that. They offered him something else. They offered him something mainstream, and he said, "No, I want Uncle Cracker." <laughs> you know, um, this uh, whilst we're slagging off X Pack, I, I thought Kidman was a star uh, in the making. Here, he could have. I think he could have went. I think he had a good career, but he could have went on for more here. Uh, obviously, as Chris mentioned, he won the title on SmackDown. Thought he looked so good. The shooting star, he looked better in terms of presentation because I remembered him in WCW wearing the jean shorts and the vest when he was part of Raven's flock. Um, but the the shoot star spread, uh, press was just a, a fabulously mm. you know, visual uh, finisher. It was a thing of beauty, and there was also a great bit in this match when he countered the Bronco Buster. I'm not sure if I've ever seen anybody counter the Bronco Buster by just lifting your boot up and then his balls, cock and balls, land on your foot. It was a, it was a really good counter for it. But um, yeah, I actually quite enjoyed this match for what it was. Yes. I thought Kidman um, could have been more of a star on it. I'd say this is the better of the three, and Chris Gary mentioned the point about Kidman. I think Kidman is a big missed opportunity because he could have risen up in this kind of thing, you know. Uh, I think his star factor reduced significantly when he cut his hair. He just looked generic as anything. You know, the, yeah. I thought that I quite liked the jeans t shirt thing because I thought it was quite, you know, like a style thing. But yeah, he, 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 he's like the baby face in this match because he's essentially like his next one. I thought yeah. that, that was really good storytelling because the WWF had to obviously make ways in which WCW could win because obviously you're you know a, a lot of this was just WWF beating up WCW guys but they made it straight away that Billy Gunn knew that everybody hated X-Pac so he played on that before you know it he's coming out to cheers 
Um, I also liked that they had a good backstory that X-Pac was fired from WCW while he was healing up for injury. So that was like a good way to... You never at any point thought he would go back to WCW because you knew that they had that storyline. So I thought that was quite good. Um, the match had way too many rest holds, which was a shame. And of course, the uh, shooting star press. It's a beautiful move. I, I know that people have said like, oh, you take out the shooting star press, what's he got? Yes, of course, but he was really good in the tail end of WCW. He, of course, as you mentioned, the Rey Mysterio tag team. He had the feud with Hogan, which I yeah. think, you know, um, was a Slambury 2000 or something like that, where he faces Hogan. And it's, you know, it's well worth going back and watching bits of that era on the network. Obviously, WCW loved him to put him in with Hogan. And obviously, WWE and F loved him at both periods because he featured a little bit in the alliance he featured in the you know early years of the cruiserweight title and is he not still a wwf a wwe trainer he's obviously i hope he's not just a, a a yes man i hope it's because he's good in the ring and safe in the ring i mean the other side of this coin is in this match he absolutely smashes his knees off of the mat right next to x-pac and i was like ah man no wonder you nearly killed chavo guerrero Pun Chapel Girl Face, I think, at that point as well. Yeah, uh, yeah he still works in WWF, WWE, sorry, he filmed in last April, but they brought him back in September. So Didn't he just get married to Tony Wilson as well? Yeah, he was yes. yeah. great start, yeah. Yeah, there's, a, there's, a, there's an interesting, I say interesting, there's an interesting scene on the Nitro in 2000 that we talked about in that last Nitro at WCW with the kind of you know, the new blood and the millionaires club when they get there's one point having Tory just come out a couple of these like fasten their jeans up and it's like you dirty boy <laughs> he's like I'm fed up of Hogan disrespecting me as he fastens up his jeans jeez <laughs> uh, um, and then there's um, Raven versus William Regal now um, everybody knows William Regal is a great technical wrestler you know he's one of the best to come out of the UK you've met the man you've man he snuck up on him and asked for a clip. Uh, his, his style did not mesh with Raven here. Personally, I didn't yeah. think. Do you know what? I, I saw the clip of Raven coming out and I generally thought for a second it was Triple H. And I was like, well, Triple H is in this? And I was like, that's not even, that's Raven. He looks <laughs> just like a smelly Triple H. Uh, and yeah, just Raven was just... You know, he was big in ECW, you know, I don't even know how big he was in WCW, I know he had the flop, but he was just a waste of time in ECW, he should have got X-Pac heat as well, and yeah, it was just a match which is an afterthought, William Regal yeah. deserves better. Yeah, uh, Gary, I don't have much to say about this particular match. <laughs> no, um, me neither, um, it's a real clash of, uh, clash of styles, it felt like a match that... Um, should have been there for Sunday night heat. Um, um, there was a nice finisher combo to it. Um, the kit has run in to set up the match later on to it. Rigo was really in his uh, groove here. I think his commissioner thought he was was coming on as a, a star at this point. I was quite liked Raven. I was disappointed in his sort of WWF run. I thought he, I liked the character, the ECW incarnation of it, so I was always a bit disappointed, couldn't see more of it. But yeah, um, 
you know, Uncle Dave gave it a quarter star. I think that's, you know, probably about right. It was just a poor pairing. And Raven, actually, you think back at WrestleMania 17, Raven was in that banging hardcore match yeah. with Big Show Dave, uh, sorry, Big Show Kane. And um, I don't think he's ever really... I think that's probably his best moment in WWF. Uh, apart from his debut. But yeah, just a, an unfortunate match. A match that didn't need to be there, frankly. And I feel the same about Tajiri and Taz I mean, as well. You're clearly forgetting about uh, when he managed the Quebecers back in 1994. Well, that was Johnny Polo, Stephen. Um, <laughs> completely different person. Yes, Definitely. Mm-hmm. Definitely. To be fair, Chris, I think I want... Obviously, Regal's in a prominent position at this point in time, so getting him on the card makes sense, but... I'm trying to find a guy... I'm trying to picture the guy on this roster at this point that's probably next for him. Yeah, but it was a great helpful. Yeah. Um, yeah, this was actually announced on the Heat just before the pay-per-view, so there no. was no build to it whatsoever, but it does make sense to get William Regal on the show, because so far he's been sort of down the middle on everything, and they had to sort of you know, get his loyalties in order. Obviously, he would later turn. Spoilers. Um, but it was it was good to get him on somewhere to have him fighting the Alliance because, you, you know, sometimes he's, at this time, he's quite namby-pamby, so you weren't getting his aggressive side, which came out in the match, which was good. Um, I thought that this was the first time Raven had been around in ages, but as you said, he was at WrestleMania 17 in a really, really good match. He was at Backlash. He fought Rhino for the hardcore title. So he's oh. been... He's been, you know, he's been around. I thought he was gone. Um, and I liked that Taz helped him out with the finish because this is thinking way too far into it. But of course, Taz was helped by Raven against Jerry Lawler back when he first came in. And mm-hmm. I thought it was like a nice callback to those two being a, a sort of, you know, backstage tag team. The Raven effect is a really cool move. And it was good for the win. Um, yeah, but you're right, it was a bit of a piss break match. Raven, I think, was pretty hard done by in WWF. I think, you know, I mean, JR in commentary says something like, he's had a t- difficult t- time here in the country. And I was like, wow, you're not, uh, not country, company, sorry. I was like, you're not letting him away with this. But um, yeah, I loved him when he was in TNA. It just so happened that this particular period was pretty mince. And uh, do you want thoughts on the other match as well? Yeah, because yeah. yeah, because it kind of this kind of leads into the other match because you get the Taz interference and obviously Tajiri is kind of the sidekick to William Regal at this point, so it kind of yeah. leads in there. I wrote two I lines it. on Taz versus Tajiri. I wrote, "I love Taz." Uh, sorry, I love Tajiri's wee sneak, where he's kind of like, <laughs> um, but I was like, the pace of the show has really dipped. Tajiri missed his four each. <laughs> that was the, my three lines of notes. There were some bits of this match was I thought was quite decent. Uh, there were some good spots and sequence in it. You know the task suplexes, uh, Tajiri getting all these big moves in, the kicks and so on. Uh, the mist w- was always good. I love Tajiri and Regal. What a great double act mm. they were. I actually quite liked heel, new nasty heel Taz. Um, yeah, and also I, well. I, I thought he was really good at that part of it. Um, and, but again, you know, it was a rushed match, you know, five minutes, 43 seconds. I mean, what are they, what are they going to do in that time? Um, in that one, but yeah, um, you know, good talent, I think, uh, both Tajiri and Taz. Mm, yeah, uh, 
Andy, I've got three, I've got one line more than Chris, I've got three lines in my notes in this particular match. I've got Taz Entrance, still looks really, really cool, mm-hmm. as it does yeah. on this particular show, uh, but Taz looked past his prime at this point, so it's kind of understandable that he was kind of moved on to commentary not long after it, and obviously the striking, I mean, even though he looked like a beat-up old man, Taz could still throw you out everywhere, everywhere. Yeah, and considering it's like both of them are famous for obviously being ECW, and I can't, uh, did, obviously they must have had matches in ECW. Uh, I, was, I, was, I was trying to remember that myself, I didn't uh, really need to properly look it up, I think they probably did. I, again, if they'd have made it maybe like a hardcore match or something, or maybe given them a bit more time, they could have probably have, it could have been better than just something that wasn't memorable, because I can't even remember anything that happened in it. <laughs> yeah, they have a match. And the 18th of July, 1999. That's a different Taz, Stephen. That's Taz with one Z. That's a different guy. <laughs> <laughs> this, from this Taz had two Zs. Uh, that that yeah. particular single Z Taz, um, I don't know why we're talking about him because he's not in this match, but they fought for the title at ECW Heatwave 1999. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that uh, been brutal. Considering this is just tame WWE, just two ex ECW guys just having a standard match. I'm reading a weird review about this one. Taz is 1000% an unbeatable ECW champion. Bad maths, bad maths. Mm. <laughs> it's bad that this is what we're talking about. It was, I think it was one of Taz's final matches in ECW. I think it was one down the line because obviously he joined WWE in mm. early 2000 and probably his peak of his. Running the company was that match in 2000 against Angle when he came out. Uh, I was an eight year old child at that particular point. I had no idea who he was, but I heard they loved him. So I was like, oh, that guy's cool. I thought, who is he? I just felt like Angle. <laughs> <laughs> and that was. So yeah, those are kind of these sleeper matches. Not the sleeper matches like we talked about Van Damme and Jeff. Are the sleeper matches that kind of make you want to go to sleep and think, oh, I've still got so much of this paper a few But. Obviously, if you watched it live at the time, you, you, you kind of knew that big match was coming later and it kept you going. Mm. If you're watching it back, you're kind of like, ah, this is a plod along. There was also a match on Heat that had Chavo Guerrero defeat Scotty Too Hotty. That made the score uh, 6-5 to the Alliance. So, there we go. So, that's all I'm saying about that one, because I did not watch that one back. Sure, yeah, I, I, could, I tried and couldn't find it. I was annoyed. It's probably, uh, I don't, you have the heats before pay per views are a bit difficult in the WWE network now, especially because they have pre shows now. It's a bit of a pain, yeah. yeah. But that has been WWF Alliance, not the Alliance, WWF Invasion from 2001. Like we do with all our um, look backs and pay per views, we're going to give it a score. We're going to say how we find it out of five. I can't remember if I always do it at five, but I'm going to do it at five now. Uh, Andy, what would you give this pay-per-view at five? Definitely would say with having the inaugural ball, ball, brawl, the RVD versus Jeff Hardy match, it's probably like a three and a half out of ten. A three and a half out of five, sorry. Gary, mm-hmm. uh, how would you go with this? I, I would do a three and a half out of five as well. I think it was a historically important show and it will always have a place in history uh, some of the stuff that followed was is not the fault of this particular show in terms of the booking of it but even the matches that we mentioned that were you know the throwaway matches they were they were 
inoffensive matches. They weren't like really, you know, it wasn't like there was the terrible matches there. Some of them could have been better, but you know, overall there were some really good high spots in this match and a historically important show, which is nice to delve back into it 20 years later. Some of the stuff I'd I'd forgotten about, but yeah, three and a half out of five, I think, is about right. Mm-hmm. I wish I'd forgotten about the six-man match. I could go in for much longer. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, Albert's great now as a T- NXT trainer. You know, does a great job, doesn't yeah. it? Uh, Chris, how would you go with us? I'm going to go a little bit better. I'm going to go four. Uh, I, as I said right at the start, I absolutely love this pay-per-view. I hate people that shit on it. You can obviously give it shit when you look back at the entire invasion angle, but there's a slight difference between the invasion Absolutely. angle and yeah. the invasion pay-per-view. Like the alliance ending might not have been great, but this start point was brilliant. And I also hate the chat that's like, oh, invasion was rubbish because they needed Hogan and they needed Nash and they needed Sting and they needed Steiner. Do you know anyone that watches AEW? and goes, oh yeah, Omega and Moxley are really good, but they just needed Randy Orton. Like, you you don't do that. You don't just bring in guys from other companies because, like, you don't feel like the guys you've got are good enough. You build around who you've got, so stop burying who was there by default. Um, I just wanted to say a little bit about the Austin heel turn. Um, this isn't loved by fans, but I think this is one of the most important turning points in wrestling history. Without this, you don't get main event Booker T you don't get main event Chris Jericho you don't get main event RVD and most importantly you don't get proper main event Kurt Angle like this all came as a result of the feuds that they would have over the next year with Austin or maybe the next six months I was being a bit generous saying that this yeah. storyline would go on a year um, yes as you said a few of the matches on the undercard were jobber fests but it's the same as any Royal Rumble or Elimination Chamber when all of your guys are in a big match at the end of the night. You always have to pad it out at the start. That's why Hardcore Holly fought Brock Lesnar at Royal Rumble that year. Um, <laughs> there was guy because he broke his dick. Exactly, and and you can only do that because it's yeah. a, you 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 have to do that because all of your guys, your ten best, are in the main event. So I was fine with all of the jobber matches. I think they get a pass, and um, I I really liked getting the. Pun, very much not intended, but I really like getting the styles clashes throughout the show. Like you had the two tag champions, one, uh, two that are brawlers and two that are almost high flyers. You get the two different junior heavyweight styles in the form of X-Pac being the light heavyweight and Kidman being the cruiserweight. And of course, match of the night, Jeff versus RVD. It was, th- this should have been on the cover. The, 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 mm-hmm. Shane's face should have been Jeff's face and Vince's face should have been RVD's face because this is the match that fans had been dying for if you're a, if you're in the northeast of America and you've seen Jeff Hardy in the WWF and you've seen RVD in ECW you must have been absolutely clambering to see this match so it was really good that they got to do that it's really good that they got to do the main event loved it all I now after watching the six weeks before this want to go away and watch all the way to Survivor Series. Um, I don't have enough free time in my life to watch that much wrestling, but I would happily do it. So yeah, four out of five for this pay-per-view. I mean, you would have to get a AJ Styles mention into another show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we were on a roll. Seems, like. It just seems to be a recurring theme. I like a lot of the points you guys made. I mean, you talk about 
things in there I don't mean I think it's one of the most underrated gems of the invasion storyline is the Jericho rock feud I think it's really good I think Jericho portrays that whole you know jealous guy so well to the point that he nearly breaks them the whole thing I think it's tremendous uh, one part I forgot to talk about when the six man is the fact that from an ESSR perspective we had a match that on one side we had Billy Gunn and on the other side we had Sean Stasiak we had Ross's favourite versus the enemy of Ross for him who's listened to our past shows Ross is not a fan of Sean Stasiak if you want to find out more message him he will tell you a great detail it involves Twitter and an unfollowing request <laughs> oh it's something else uh, in terms of my rating I will go three and a half as well I think I get Chris's points about the matches the mid-carder guys the lower-carder guys we could have done what the guys mentioned earlier on maybe had a shorter pay-per-view in terms of matches five matches maybe not as much there we could have had a lot more we could have done a lot more in terms of that but again I can see why they've done what they did maybe get a lot more time to RVD and Jeff Hardy but I think that match and the inaugural brawl more for the moment shred of it as I mentioned I thought the Austin heel turn was much better than the one at Wrestlemania 17 because it was a lot I don't know the Wrestlemania 17 I'm shocking but it's he battles him with the chair for about 10 minutes he beats it in but this one just kind of comes from left field a lot more because he was heel face heel again and I think it works well. I actually think it would have worked really well as well if he hadn't turned at Mania 17. Yeah. He was still a face and he did it there, that would have been so much more in your face. But obviously, he wouldn't have got that moment in Raw when he walks away because he wants to still go back to him. It's butts and babies on it, but I, I agree with you. I think the pay-per-view itself is good. Very enjoyable pay-per-view. Obviously, it's, you take it differently from the storyline because the storyline follows it, you know. The storyline's hampered by certain aspects of it that's out of the control of this interview. I think it does great. And obviously, one thing we mentioned earlier on, it highlights Rhino in a great way. Absolutely. You know, he goes up, I mean, the first six months that Rhino was in WWE, they made him look like an absolute machine. Mm. You know, oh, he was so he was so good, you know. And I saw a great video earlier on today, just a quick digress before we finish. It was 15 years ago today that. Rhino cuts a promo in TNA going absolutely mental at WWF, WWE for bringing back ECW and says it burns, it burns the ECW title in a trash can even though we never see the ECW title I was thinking about that watch in the back when they announced him as the final one I was like ah oh, it's weird you didn't mention that next time round <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's been our look back at the Invasion pay-per-view I hope you've enjoyed it and I hope you like us enjoy watching all these lots of old pay-per-views as we've got loads of them in our back catalogue full of feature shows we've got so many we've actually recently recorded a 200 feature show a couple of weeks ago uh, it was the Mount Rushmore of Tag Teams uh, show so that's 200 shows minimum to go back and look at if you've never listened to us please there's so much there that can get you through working from home can get you through going out the jog can get you through anything you know I'm really giving this so much high it's unreal but there is so much content on our platform we've got the feature show and we've also got our central use show that we do every week our YouTube channel's got some great stuff like quiz show down there which is our monthly bi-monthly becoming bi-monthly quiz show our book it series where we try to rebook all these great moments in wrestling history again there's so much content on there and social media Facebook, Twitter, Instagram 
you can DM us. Don't DM Ross McLeod if you don't want to. You can DM the Suplex Retweet account if you want to hear about the Sean Stasiak stuff. It's, it's actually one of the better stories we've ever done, we've ever had to talk about for this podcast. In terms of shows coming up, Chris mentioned it earlier on the show. We're going to be talking about Christian. I have done. I have had so many shows in the last year that people have badgered me for for so long. Gary's visited a Christmas special. David Campbell talking about the Bellas, and now I had Sarah wanted to talk about Christian. In all fairness, it is a good point to talk about Christian with this being his, the year he's came back and making an impact in AEW. We've got another one of these look-back shows of pay-per-views coming up in two weeks' time, where we're going to be talking about the 1991 Summer Slot. So oh, I can't cool. wait, Steve. I can't wait. It's going to be even better than this. <laughs> My favourite show of all time. <laughs> Oh, it's going to be epic. There's, there's loads of st- we're, actually, we're actually looking back at the first takeover of Brooklyn as well in a few weeks, which is good. We've got another Mount Rushmore on commentators. We're going to be talking about best SummerSlam moments and a show about Seth Rollins. That bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Purely because he just got married to Becky Lynch. That bastard, that lucky bastard. Oh, I thought you were meaning his selfie. Uh, oh. We're not talking about that today. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about that in the show, I bloody not. <laughs> but for us here, I'd like to thank my panel first to Andy, thank you. No worries, pleasure being here. Uh, Gary, thank you very much. Thanks, Stephen. I like how you took credit for scheduling a Christian show and one about the Bellas. I'm pretty sure you weren't involved with that scheduling, but... No, I get badgered. I, I'm the one that gets badgered. I get one, I'm the one badgered about it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Chris, thank you as well. Cheers, Stephen. This is the most invested I've been in preparing preparing for uh, ESSR podcast ever. And it was so much fun. And we have to wrap this up because I am going to go watch the Monday after Invasion. No, I'm not. I'm not. not (laughs) If if I was good at at Photoshop, I would make the image for this show. I'll be Van Damme. (laughs) We need to. We need to make that happen. Get, anyway, I bet here, I bet Daniel can do it. He must be able to. He's a genius. Am I giving him too much praise? I don't know. Send him a message. Go, Daniel, I have a request for you. But, <laughs> but then, but then, when people are listening to it, it'll either have been done or not done. So yes, guys, look at that beautiful picture you can see before you in the thumbnail. I'm so happy we did this. <laughs> that may be the image. We'll have to wait and see. <laughs> I've been Steve Most, and we'll see you next time. Have a good one. Bye. There now follows an enthusiastic advertisement for Quiz Showdown. Hello guys, welcome to Quiz Showdown. I'm Daniel Campbell, and in this show you're going to see the members of the Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet team go through a very strange quiz. We don't know what the heck's going on with it, but you're going to have to watch to find out. Go check out on the YouTube channel now. That was an enthusiastic advert for Quiz Showdown.